You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome back to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm Victor and joining me is William Gallagher. Hello. Uh, actually, is it worth even talking? This, I mean, nothing's going on. Is it? There's nothing around the corner. There's nothing happening. Um, let's just get some tea, okay? Well, you missed out, William. You you didn't even notice that I didn't give you a superlative this time. <gasps> you see, I'm just so used to everybody praising me all the time. Right. Yes. Okay, you're right. Now I'm worrying. Have I offended you in some mm. way? Not yet, but you will. Oh, challenge accepted. Okay. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the big show. Here we have the wacky William Gallagher, and we're <laughs> going to get right into the thick of the news. But first, tea. Actually, I had a good cup of tea this morning. So, now, good. William, yes. I have heard tell that there are new iPhones coming. Where, where would you have heard that? That's God, a secret. Only Apple knows that. Yeah, I guess you're right, but I've, I've heard this. And what I've heard, and you won't believe it, but what I've heard is that the incoming 2018 iPhone lineup could very well cost the exact same as the current models that we've had for the past year. I heard that, and I hope it's true, but I, I'm also amused. I mean, uh, this the, the big one, the one that's the plus size one that's going to be called the iPhone XS. No, Max, no, 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 no. That's my next story. How dare you? Okay. Sorry. Okay. Look, All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and do that. So, naming is hard, right? Naming products oh, yes. is really difficult. Yes. Just as much just, as 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 writing headlines is very difficult. Writing titles of stories is difficult, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I'm murderous, but brilliant when you get it. It's just great. The right name is a really good thing. And people who make product names run into this all the time. You you look at these these product names or company names and you go how on earth did anyone think that was a good idea? But it's really hard. It's very difficult. And so the prediction that we have is that the flagship model of the new iPhone, that is the six and a half inch OLED iPhone, instead of just calling it plus, and I can just picture Phil Schiller up on stage talking about how wonderful this is. He's going to say, we were going to call it plus, but it's even bigger. It's the <laughs> iPhone XS Max. Actually, let me just stop you there for a second. You got that right. I realized I keep thinking. I mean, last year, when it was the iPhone X and the Roman numeral, it used to really annoy me when people would say the iPhone X. I mean, remember Windows 10P? We didn't have that. Why are they getting it wrong this time? But this time, since we've heard this expected name, I keep thinking of it as the iPhone XS Max. And I think it's because XS is a word, excess kind of thing. It just seems bigger that way but it is the iphone 10 s max and suddenly it seems like a really long name okay. it is but a really long name and and people are going to call it xs max you know you could you could yeah. equally just add a play and said you know it should be called the xtc right xtc means something doesn't it is there a group called xtc first of all no. there's a group oh. called okay first if we really want to go back there's a group called in yes. but there's also a group called xtc and, you know, when you say XTC, it's also ecstasy. Oh, I never made that. Oh, ridiculously, I never made that connection. I feel so naive now. But okay. Right. So what we're also <laughs> saying, to try to drag this back to the point is finding the right name is, is difficult. Uh, uh, it's great when you do it. But then even when you do, there can be other meanings. I imagine the ecstasy one was intentional, but you can think of others that weren't. So Apple have probably spent a lot of time on this name. Um, 
and actually that makes me think that it's very likely to be the right one um are they going to get so close to the end uh without picking one and surprise us on a keynote slide at the last minute and um now just picturing somebody sitting backstage at the uh, presentation typing might have it on text expander which version to put up and i know i'm thinking of that um, the first yeah. time I wrote iPhone X, excuse me, because I was typing the letter X, XS, I have a text expander snippet uh, that uh, puts in some HTML code when I type in XS. So I wrote a new story about this. And for a minute, the headline was referring to the iPhone, uh, open brackets, ahref equals cobots oh, and that God. stuff. Yeah. So I've changed that now. But just for a minute there, it was amusing. Marketing sources claim to be familiar with Apple's plans told one of our competing sites that the name has been under consideration for some time and is now the most likely to be used. The same sources also report that both of the OLED models, iPhone X and XS Max, will feature the A12 processor and an increase in RAM from 3 gig to 4 gig. We've talked about that before, of course. Now... The pricing, though, is interesting because a year ago we were talking about this and how how we weren't sure that Apple was going to be able to rise the price to $1,000. We weren't sure that it was going to work, that people would go for it. And, of course, lots of people did. So the prices seem to be about right, right? They're, they're, all the prices are for the that we know of are about the same as last year for the 64-gig capacity model. The cost to upgrade to a 256 gigabyte model is about to be the same as for the current generation. So that is 170 euro or $197 for each model. And it's it's not easy to estimate the pricing Apple will use. You know, this, this is not necessarily a guaranteed pricing. This is just what we hear. And it's um, extremely likely, but it could change. I think no. I might be misunderstanding uh, something. Um, what got me excited about the price thing was, uh, I believe the story was that the prices would be uh, the same as they were last year. And yeah. actually, that didn't surprise me. But the idea I thought I was hearing was that uh, the top price would be uh, what the, the max would cost, that the iPhone XS would drop down a bit, presumably to iPhone 8 levels pricing, and that the max would be the top range and cost the same as before. And that really interested me because I've been assuming the max would be incredibly expensive. And actually it is. But the fact that it's the same as last year's expensive phone, somehow Apple has tricked me into thinking, ooh, that's a bargain. And well, it, how you're, you're they... getting larger screen for the price that you're thinking of for the smaller phone from last year. That's why you think it's yes. a bargain. Yeah, but also they've inured me to the idea of a thousand pounds, or excuse me, a thousand dollars for a phone and things. And I think that's really remarkable how they've done that. It still yeah. doesn't mean I've got a thousand to spend on it, but they've made it seem reasonable. At they least. have. They have. Very but, clever. You know, you can you can envision how this will go over when Phil Schiller announces such a thing on the stage, right? He'll stand up and tell you, and. We've made this one the same price as last year's little one. You know, he, he, he would do something that would be really showy and, and make people excited about it. Yes. And you'd fall Even for it every time. Even people know. You would fall I've for it every time. I've said to you before, time. yeah. Uh, in some ways, uh, I would like to watch the keynote and not know anything in advance. I would just enjoy the show more. And equally, I, I feel a bit sorry for Apple that they go, yeah, you see the effort they go to and then there's a leak of stuff. I, but also, for some reason, 
these leaks and looking into what's rumoured happening, they've got me more interested. Um, I don't think I was necessarily thinking of upgrading anything this year, but now I want uh, a new phone, a new iPad, a new watch. Let me, let me explain something just to, to put it out there for you. Yeah. There are leaks and then there are leaks. That is to say there are leaks that happen because someone talked that wasn't supposed to. And then there are leaks that are intentional. Uh, right. There's a f- phrase here in British politics that uh, the ship of state is the only ship that leaks from the top. Um, well, no, yeah, that's that's so. also a very famous Steve Jobs quote. He quoted, he referred to that in one of the All Things D conferences years ago. Uh, but this is not so much leaking to you know because information escapes it's it's because they are preparing people for this right a year ago when the leak started coming about the $1000 price point that gave everyone a lot of time to prepare and to mentally get over the hurdle as opposed to being shocked by it wow okay see i definitely want to believe this because that's machiavellian and clever so okay i will believe that that makes sense you think they're <laughs> not clever Oh, I absolutely think they're clever. Um, okay. Uh, I just uh, does this mean no more surprises? No, there are tons of surprises. You'll find out about them at the event. Okay. All right. First of all, we talked a little bit about these iPhones, and 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 they're going to be incredible. There's just so much that we can. There's there's only so much we can say about them, right? We have a name, we have pricing, we have sizes, we have screens, and we have the software iOS 12 that runs on them. So the 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 big surprises are are pretty much out of the bag, right? Yes. The things that'll be interesting to hear about are what it means for applications, what it means for developers, what they can show us in terms of performance for, of the A12 processor, what it means in terms of things they can show us with the cameras, what can they show us with AR kit, what can they show us to make this an interesting and exciting and attractive device beyond just Here's iOS 12. We told you about it six months ago. Okay. I can right? see that. So there's still room for things to surprise and delight. At the same time, these are the details we know now. We've got uh, – we're just a little more than a week away, something like that, uh, right? Is it, it's 12, isn't it? So Five uh, days? Yep, yeah, five days. Grief, only five days. Yeah. So, so this is going to be something that we're going to talk a lot about more when the show when the show comes now there there's a ton of stuff that also can happen and we'll talk about that right after this word so molecule is the only air purifier that actually destroys pollutants molecule is a complete reinvention of the air purifier not just an improvement on existing outdated technology it was developed by a scientist whose son suffered from asthma and was frustrated by the fact that hepa air purifiers did not relieve his son's symptoms as a result Dr. Yogi Goswami spent 20 years developing a completely new, totally effective way of removing indoor air pollutants. He's a professor and the director of Clean Energy Research Center at the University of South Florida. He developed something called PICO, which is the technology behind Molecule. PICO destroys harmful pollutants like bacteria, viruses, mold, allergens, airborne chemicals, instead of just collecting them on a filter that you then have to clean or change somehow. Molecule makes this revolutionary technology available to consumers so that others can experience the life-changing effects of clean air. Global air pollution is worsening at an ever-increasing rate, and more than 80% of the people living in urban areas that monitor air pollution are exposed to air quality that fails to meet World Health Organization recommendations. Worst news is that indoor air can be up to five times worse than outdoor air, according to the EPA, and most of us spend around 90% of our times indoors. 
Today's predominant air purification technology, the HEPA filter, was invented during World War II, way back in 1940s. These outdated filters trap pollutants, but only work on particles larger than 0.3 microns. Many harmful pollutants are smaller than that. Even the larger pollutants that HEPA filters manage to trap aren't destroyed. They live on the surface of the filter, where they can then grow and then be released back into the air you breathe. So, unlike those, Molecule destroys indoor air pollutants at a molecular level, completely removing them from the air you breathe. They use photoelectrochemical oxidation nanotechnology, which is that PICO that I mentioned before, to eliminate allergens, mold, bacteria, and viruses smaller than the HEPA filter can capture. And this includes microscopic pollutants, volatile organic compounds, which are carcinogens, basically. These concentrate in indoor air and negatively affect our health. Now, these claims have been tested and verified by third-party labs like the University of Minnesota Particle Calibration Laboratory and the University of South Florida Center for Biological Defense. Molecule introduces breakthrough science that's finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. That PICO technology goes beyond HEPA filtration to not just capture but destroy the full spectrum of indoor air pollutants. And uh, it makes a meaningful impact on, on lives for people who have asthma and allergy. One customer said that she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Molecule's technology has been personally effective and verified by science, but most importantly, it's been tested by real people. Molecules helped allergy and asthma sufferers around the country cope better with their conditions and significantly reduce their symptoms. For $75 off your first order, visit molekule.com and at checkout, enter the promo code APPLEINSIDER. So we're talking about the Apple event. And other things that can happen to the Apple event that we fully expect them to talk about are the Apple Watch. It's all about the idea that the Apple Watch Series 4 is going to have a larger resolution screen, 3D4 by 480, as opposed to the existing 312 by 390 resolution on Series 3. Now, the questions are, what can you do with a bigger watch face? What can you do with a bigger screen surface? Everything. What would you do with a bigger resolution? Well, this probably sounds silly, but I, I was looking at, we have that nice image of the uh, the leaked watch face that's been rotated by uh, our own Andrews into a nice, fully all of it. And actually looking flat on, it's so detailed. It's so busy. I'm impressed. And I know the moment I got one of these watches, I'd switch all of that off and go back to more or less what I have now, which is a very, very bare bones display. So I imagine I would be wasting this bigger screen and this greater resolution, but I'd like it and it would look gorgeous. That's what I'd do with it. So you're approaching it from the perspective that a lot of people are, which is if you have more resolution, you can pack more junk on. Yes. And I think personally, and this is my own speculation, so this comes down to me, is that's a mistake. Okay. That is your wrong. Okay. All of you. You could break that Everyone. to me a bit more gently. How about this isn't the most right I've ever been? Could we go with that instead? Do you want? I thought. I thought. I thought you valued honesty as opposed to vanity, William. Yeah, but also I just stole that joke from Paul Reiser. So are you, you know. vain? Moi. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so so here's here's what I think. Right, when you have higher resolution display, it means that you can do things like we've been doing for years with pixel doubling and making retina displays, making things look nicer on the eyes, getting rid of jagged edges. Use those to keep things the same size and make them look better rather than trying to jam more stuff in. Now, here on this watch face, clearly there are a bunch of complications. And people have been asking for more customization and more complications. Doesn't mean you have to use all of these. It just means you've got the option. Now, personally, I don't need to know when sundown is. It just isn't a thing that I'm really concerned about all the time. Uh, 
I do like to know the temperature. So having the temperature on the watch face is not bad. I do like having the upcoming appointment on the watch face. That's not bad. The stopwatch or timer is less important to me. The UV index can be important to me. If I'm spending a lot of time outside, it would be really helpful to know. So I, I think what's shown here is not so much, oh my God, information overload, as much as flexibility. Yes. And that's always been the thing with the watch, right? The watch has never been an Apple telling us, and this is the thing that I dinged it for early on. You know, for every other device, Apple told us why we wanted it. By the iPad, it's a nice sitting down, lean back web experience or app experience as opposed to a computer where you have to lean forward into it kind of thing. By by the phone, it's the pocket supercomputer that you carry with you, right? By the Apple Watch, well, it does all these different things. Maybe one of them is for you. And over time, they've turned it into something more interesting, turned it into the health platform, turned it into a, a thing that can reduce your amount of time spent on the iPhone. It's, it's become more interesting over time. But early on, they really had no idea who it was for and just said, maybe it's for all of these things. Good luck. Go buy one. Well, actually... And I think that's sort of what we're seeing here a little I would, bit. I think the principle of what you're saying is right, but Apple always knew exactly who that first watch was for. It was for me. I loved it from the start, and uh, I still do. Uh, I, and yes, I see your point on all of this, and the, particularly the options on the complications, but uh, I keep looking at that um, the example shot that has this uh, sunset one it doesn't just have the sunset one has a little icon telling you that it means sunset which is good because the same display will then show you sunrise so you know i don't think you're likely to be confused but the icon will clarify it if you are but then you look at the text that they're using that they've got this space and they've defined it in the example it's that sundown is tonight at 7 30 p.m and uh i don't happen to need that but i do know people who like to know that information it's just even if you do want to know that Apple puts after that example that 7.30 p.m. is in 9 hours and 21 minutes time. Uh, you ha- you are looking at a watch telling you the time and you're being told when sundown is. I think that's just that is um, superfluous use of extra information space that uh, if it was purely an aesthetic thing, they would get rid of um, and just have the time. I think it's. Uh, elongated to make it balance rather than elongated to be useful or to look higher resolution. And I can't believe I am this concerned about one quarter of one complication on a watch face that hasn't launched yet. I think you're just looking at me now. I'm going to be quiet. Well, so here's here's another story that we didn't even talk about before the show that I'm just going to spring on you. Are you ready for it? No, but you, it's never going to stop you so far away. Yes. Yeah. So... There was this story that we ran about Eddie Q being overextended and actually falling asleep in meetings and falling. So we we had this interview with Ken Koshenda last week. And one of the things that Ken talked about was that the, the importance of the demo at Apple's culture, when you demonstrate something for your superiors and they decide up or down, if that's a feature that becomes core and if you become responsible for it, imagine working really hard on features for the upcoming device or working really hard on things that'll make iCloud better and working really hard on things that'll make Siri better, for example, and having EdEQ snore at you while you're presenting. Yes, it would be hard to take it well unless um, you could just 
tell everybody that he agreed and he'd be far too embarrassed to say he didn't even know what he'd agreed to. I just, I look at that and I, I feel for the guy. Yeah, I mean, you, I, I think I'm busy, but I don't bring out a new phone and a massive update to Siri and I don't negotiate deals with Hollywood for TV and things. Uh, it's inconceivable. Well, okay, now, doing. hold up, hold up, hold up. Because, the yes, he's been doing the deals for Hollywood and for books and for music for years. And that, that part seems to have worked out mostly pretty well. However, Siri has lagged way behind and he's been the guy responsible for Siri. The The... Article we ran says that Q's allegedly failed to intercede in conflicts in key moments. Was that conflicts in Syria? And you can see it in terms. Because uh, I remember. No, I say that's conflicts on teams. Oh, right. Yes. Right. So people come up with alternate alternate ideas, and you have to resolve them. Which is the path forward for the product? Yes. I mean, not to be. How would you feel if your boss, you're presenting, and your boss is asleep at the wheel? And it affects the product. Well, I know uh, last week you talked about uh, the directly responsible individual, the DRI. And one imagines there are DRIs below ADQ. I would go to him or her and I, I would escalate it upwards, which is not a very you know, collegiate way. But when it matters that much and there is a problem like that, one presumes that's what you'd do. I'm just really conscious of the fact that we haven't heard from ADQ uh, about this and and i can't imagine the guy's having a very good week because of this so i kind of feel for him and since he isn't here i'm trying to be his advocate in a way to argue my the only thing i can offer maybe is that uh there is this business as you said about not intervening in uh fights within teams and that i asked you about whether it was serious because the one i'd heard was uh particularly to do with beats and apple music and i look at that and i think yes apparently he failed to intercede but Apple Music and Beats did integrate, and it has worked. Um, is it overstating the fact that he should have intervened more? I mean, without him, we'll never know all of the context. I'd be very curious to know what happens next, because uh, if the guy is overstretched, then uh, it's not healthy for him. I mean, forget the products, and for the man, it's not healthy. And one would hope that Apple would be conscious of that. All right. Okay, I'm, I'm just going to read two bits that we had in our story. Yeah. After Apple was punished for antitrust violations for the, the iBooks case, Q reportedly claimed that no one reads books anymore in a meeting. I would, I would venture to say people still read books. They just aren't reading them on Apple books necessarily. But for as far as he's concerned, if no one's reading them on Apple books, they must not be reading, huh? Right. The other thing that we published was that when he was in charge of Siri, he showed boredom when presented with data about its performance. And performance has been one of the things people have been most critical of. So here, here we have the problem. Here we have people trying to address it. And he's falling asleep during two meetings mm -hmm. about Siri's performance when presented with data. No, I can't uh, argue with that. I don't know any facts to it. Um, I, I am only just reminded of the fact that Steve Jobs uh, once said that nobody in America reads anymore. Um, and I think it was in response to somebody asking if they were going to do books on Apple, and he just didn't want to tell them. So he said that. So I was kind of amused at that right. echo, but the context is very different. But yeah. e echoing after you've launched the store and renamed it and everything is very different from... Yes the very Jobsian way of responding to something. You know, you may well recall that Jobs also said no one wanted to watch video on an iPod, and then they launched the video iPod. Right. I'd forgotten that. Yes, that's true. Okay. So, yes, that is very different. Uh, there's just an interesting historical harmonic there. Um, so, what's going to happen to Eddie Q? And is this 
uh, going to sort things out? What's going to happen to Eddie Q is that Eddie Q is going to present on September 12th. We'll see him present. He'll make a he'll, he'll have a fun time doing karaoke or something like that. And this won't ever come of anything. But internally at Apple, someone has assuredly already spoken with him about it mm. because this is not the story that Apple wants out there. Now, he's not going to take a fall like St- Scott Forstall did over Maps, but this this is uh, not what Eddie wants. This really shouldn't come to a stage where things happen because it's known outside of the company. I mean, this is airing sort of dirty laundry stuff. Uh, you would hope that Apple was able to sort itself out on the inside. I mean, one individual uh, causing problems should be solvable. One would think, but you know, I'm just so conscious of the fact that I don't know the situation, and it's very different being in that environment than out. So, I hope the man is okay. But I also, I would be not unhappy then if uh, things were reapportioned around the executive team to get these things done. I mean, the the problem is that these are things that Apple is basing its whole future on. Right, the importance of Siri is it cannot be understated. Mm, yes. Right, Siri is in all of the products, and it's a massive undertaking to get Siri to behave the same way across all the products. To be able to respond to the requests you make in the the context and through the device that you're using. Right, Siri on the Mac behaves differently than Siri on the HomePod behaves differently than Siri on Apple TV. And it's a big undertaking to make all of these things work. It's a big undertaking to have Siri respond and respond quickly and respond correctly. There's a lot there. And when when these rumblings start, yes, they can peter out into nothing, but alternatively, they can turn into something, right? All it takes in the world of politics is someone saying, starting the, the, the word passing that, you know, my, your prime minister looks awful tired. A very famous Doctor Who reference there, which actually I always think of whenever Theresa May, the UK Prime Minister, uh, stands up and looks basically exhausted in front of things. But yeah, mm. right. I'm so glad you picked up on that. But you you say where I'm going with yes. that, right? Yes. Okay. You know, first you're tired, and the next thing you know, you're out of yes. the job. <laughs> now, at the same time, to keep things in perspective. Also on Eddie Q's beat, Apple has been seen at the uh, Toronto International Film Festival looking for movie acquisitions. And basically what's happening is that Jamie Ehrlich and Zach Van Amberg, who are the heads of programming for Apple's content operation, basically are going to the Toronto Film Festival with their checkbooks in hand to make acquisitions to fill out the pipeline for whatever is going to be announced in terms of Apple streaming services. That's very exciting. Actually, I wonder why they picked that uh, particular festival i mean presumably they're looking at others and maybe this is just a you know this is when they're ready to look thing but it's curious to know um i don't think about the toronto festival but the fact that it's an international one says at least your know, apple's looking broader than your typical hollywood outlet i imagine it has to look broader than hollywood because even apple can't afford to keep uh, buying you know, i don't know the mission impossible range or something um, so so what what happens is that you go to a film fest with your independently produced film and you're looking for distribution deals. And Netflix and Amazon go to these film festivals. Others, traditionals, go to these film festivals. And, you know, do you get bought and to distribute into theaters? Do you get bought and distributed to video? Do you get bought streaming or running on a channel somewhere? And 
Amazon has been doing things like going ahead and and purchasing rights and then running them in theaters before placing them on the Amazon Prime TV service. Netflix does this also. They they bring some to you know they they they've acquired festival titles and then bring them to the streaming service. So we don't know if Apple's going to bring anything to theaters or if they're going to go straight to their streaming service or how this plays out. But that's what you do is you're, you're basically you go to these film festivals to go shopping. Right. You've got to have material. Yes. Yeah. You you've got to have material and people are shopping around and there are these are renowned film festivals. They give out awards. Great. Go scope out and see if you can get the award winners as part of a deal. I'm so interested to know how Apple will show us these things. I mean, I, I imagine they will expand the TV app, which I think has significant flaws at the moment. Um, but it, it's better that if they put films on there instead of where they currently have things. Uh, right now, you have to go into uh, Apple Music and then uh, browse and then genres and film and TV. And eventually you get down to the few, you know, the music documentaries and things they have. Having it somewhere like the Apple TV app um, more front and center would be great. But then, you know, it, would you think to look in the TV app for a movie? Um, I don't know. Maybe you would. Well, just rename it. Yeah. The TV app and Siri on Apple TV are the most useful things that make an Apple TV worth owning. And the reason is that Apple's aggregation of other people's content and services into the TV app is a big benefit. It fixes the god-awfulness that is Hulu's app. It fixes the weirdness that is HBO Now's watch list. It fixes all of these things by abstracting them away. They don't even matter anymore because you're viewing it through the continue watching portion of the TV app. Being able to use the microphone and Siri to locate these things instead of having to dig through people's apps to find them is a big benefit. I certainly agree about and Siri. Something I, I use that uh, hugely, um, and I and I agree with the principle of the TV thing. But I don't think it's fixed these things. I think it's addressed them uh, because you mentioned these things that it's uh, you no longer have to go to the Hulu app. You do still have to go to the Netflix app. Uh, so uh, with that major player not being in the Apple TV app means it's not one stop shop anymore. You still have to get out to go to other things. And then, um, as much as I prefer the look of Apple TV to the Netflix thing, I've still had the thing where it will recommend uh, the next episode in a series, but it's got it wrong. It's actually recommending, yeah, I've watched lots of episode three and it recommends episode two as the next thing. I've had that happen. And then my last... I have not had that one out. killer for me is if I'm just browsing around my Apple TV, most of the time, in almost every case, you cannot tell whether something that's being shown to you is something you've already bought, something that's already part of a subscription you've been paying for, or is something you would have to go buy extra for. Now, I'm fine to drop 10 bucks on a, a film if that's what I'm in the mood for. But when I'm just, you know, half-heartedly looking around, having to think... You know, no, I don't have Atlanta. Um, I would have to buy it. It just makes it very choppy and clunky to me. So I, I yeah. try to like it, but that, it's not there yet for me. That last part, that last part is what Roku succeeds at. With Roku, when you search, Roku goes ahead and organizes the search through the services that you're subscribed through and, and have already paid for first. So that the, the options to, that require payment are last. 
it's the one thing they've done right. Cool. I've not seen. I've seen screenshots of the Roku one, and I, I found it quite perplexing even from that. But that sounds better actually. So, as I say, that's the one thing they've done right. Of course, they are basically a platform to sell adverts. But other than that, mm. <sighs> yes. yeah, none of it's perfect, William. Oh, but it's so close. None of it, isn't it? And after September the twelfth, everything will be fine. You say that. Yes. Now, William. Yes. Tell me about your Evernote use. Oh, Evernote! Poor old Evernote. Um, I'm so I'm schizophrenic over Evernote. I currently have seven thousand and sixty-eight notes in it, and the reason I know that is that this week on Apple Insider, I wrote a piece on how to get them all out of Evernote and into alternatives. Like um, I covered Apple Notes and DevonThink and Bear. There are many others, but those there are three ways to do the export and import, and those three apps, as great as they are, they also have different ways of doing it, which was really interesting. Um, the thing is, uh, uh, Evernote's the company. Uh, it seems like it's always been in trouble, but at the moment, uh, it's uh, reportedly looking for uh, funding. It's uh, definitely lost some of its key technology stuff. It's lost its uh, chief technology officer and its chief financial officer. And now, I don't know... Uh, the reasons, and one imagines they'll be replaced, but right at this moment, to be trying to expand your platform technically and get money, losing your CTO and your CFO is tricky. Uh, Good signs, yeah, right? It's just, I used to, a long time Good ago. Good signs and portents. Yeah. I loved Evernote. Uh, I paid for the, I've only once paid for the premium version of it, even though I've been using it for years. But the reason uh, that I've slightly lost the taste for Evernote and that I haven't carried on paying a related. Uh, Evernote regularly has severe problems and the support system has always been uh, quite extraordinarily poor. And when they finally fix your problem as a kind of a sop to apologize in a way, they extend uh, your period uh, before you have to pay again for premium. And they extended mine, in the end, they extended it three years. That's why I have never had to pay since. Uh, I think it's either next year or the year after that it would be coming up for renewal. And I've been havering over whether or not to carry on. But you get problems like, I remember one day they dropped uh, a massive update to iOS uh, that added a feature nobody wanted that was uh, searching all of your notes and adding in links from there to places like the Washington Post and related stories. Possibly interesting, but you'd like to be asked first. And instead, it bricked Evernote on my iPhone while it worked through that database. And of course, I was on the way to an event. It was Saturday morning. I was running a really important workshop. All of my details of where to go and how to get were there and inaccessible. So you, you contact Evernote support and Evernote support doesn't work on Saturdays. So they'd launched this massive thing, bricked the phones and didn't bother to have support people on. That's the kind of level of support from Evernote. So you come away, at times you resent it, but it's so useful you kind of grudgingly come back to it. And for at least two years now, I've been split equally between Apple Notes and Evernote. Uh, I have lots of notes that continue that I add to forever and they started in Evernote. So I have continued. Um, anything new tends to go into Apple Notes unless that new thing is something that needs audio recorded at the same time, which for some reason I seem to do a lot. Only Evernote does that. Um, with everything else, you have to record the audio separately and drag it into the notes so i've been sticking to evernote uh for reasons of tradition for reasons of audio and also just knowing i had a lot of notes and now with the company 
seemingly in a delicate position. One hopes it'll recover, but while it's delicate, I, I looked at how to get everything out because it turns out to be actually a much more involved process than one imagines. Yeah, and there have been articles for years on how to escape Evernote, how to bring your things out of it. I'm really glad you wrote one from the standpoint of using what did you use? It looks like DevonThink Bear yeah. Notes. And there there was a couple of other options that were for people who who wanted to make sure that they always had control of their data. That is, you know, you weren't subject to someone else's server and you could host it locally kind of thing. Um and and basically sync with your own server to be completely liberated from this sort of thing. This is this is a real quandary. You know, you want to be able to have your notes available everywhere when you need them. At the same time, you want to be in control of your data. So it's it's a tough thing to solve. Yeah, and I honestly thought Evernote did a really good job of uh, how they handled things and where they kept them and how easily you retrieve them uh, in general. So, you know, I mean, yay for Evernote, and I hope it pulls through. Uh, it's just... Now that I've looked into me, the thing about moving off, uh, Evernote's always been uh, very open about the fact that you can get your data out quickly, but it's not strictly speaking true. Uh, what they mean is any note you write can very easily be exported out of Evernote and imported somewhere else, but only the note. So if you have your note in a notebook and that notebook in a stack of notebooks, forget that only the note survives. So my 7068, if I exported them all in one go, uh, I would get one Evernote uh, file that contained 7068 uh, entries and anything I imported it to would create 7000 odd notes for it uh, with no way to know how I'd originally structured it. So my advice as well as just this follow Evernote's export instructions it's do it a notebook at a time rather than doing everything so, yeah. so there was more to say than you might expect about that and I was glad to get the chance mm. to do it wonderful well I will um, I will follow this up and we're going to see because Evernote is one of those things where they keep doing things that attract me to them and then keep doing things that make me fear them and want to leave them yes. alone you know they used to have an app called uh, Card Munch and Card Munch was a great business card scanning app. And it would go ahead and scan the business cards, put them in Evernote, and then also put them in LinkedIn. And that went by the wayside. Mm. That got discontinued. Then they made Scannable. And Scannable was great. You could put documents directly into Evernote. You'd scan. It was beautiful. And that's gone by the wayside now. They don't really support it anymore. So yeah. I'm, I'm, always, I'm always torn. And I never commit to them because of this stuff. They just don't care long enough. It's a bit like Google, really, aren't they? You know, they had Evernote food. They shut that down. Yes, I liked Evernote food. They, they, yeah. <sighs> I can tell you, I used to use the bit. I know I used the business card reader once. I'd forgotten the name of it. I presume it was the same one because it was Evernote's one. Uh, somebody gave me the business card, uh, and I, I'm actually I'm papyrophobic. I have a um, like it's almost like an OCD thing with pieces of paper. It's very difficult for me to handle them. So the idea of something that would quickly take a photograph and and sort of pass all the data that's great quick flash get rid of the car before it makes me twitch too much and it did it it brought it in it brought all the data in added it to my contacts in Evernote and I was so impressed except uh, it also emailed the person whose details I was doing and some oh sort of request uh, some equivalent of a friend request I don't know um, and oh all the first I heard was about an hour later I suddenly noticed this guy uh, had automatically emailed me back saying you know hello or whatever and I'm not 100% sure which person he was. We didn't talk that long at the event. So I felt slightly uncomfortable with all of this. But Yeah, 
I, I, at events, I collect stacks of business cards. I write notes on each one, what the, the relationship is, what the, the meeting was, what the detail was. And then I keep these stacks and I scan them after the fact and follow up. But on a show floor, there's no time to take out the phone, unlock the phone, open the app, <laughs> wait for the camera, go ahead and scan a, a card. And it's nuts. Yeah. And, and I was talking with someone about a business card redesign where they wanted to make the business card black. Don't make your business cards black. Yes, they look nice. Yes, they look pretty. Don't make them black. You can't write on them. How the heck can people take notes if your business card is black? It is useless. Right. I'm picturing a kind of The other thing that's tap. useless in a business card. So hmm. at least make one side of the card white so that you can write on it. And don't use a gloss coating. Make it matte because pen ink does not yes. write on gloss cards. And I, I pointed this out to the person who was pushing this black design on us. And, and he said, go ahead and use Evernote. Just like scan them with Evernote. Like that's no, <laughs> that's not how it works at a show. There, it, there's no way. Mm. It's not what you do. You, you, you run back-to-back meetings. You have to run across a show floor. Forget scanning a business card. Are you kidding me? Write a note on it, put it in your pocket. It's just nuts. Well, that's my rant on <laughs> business cards. Thank you very much. This has been the Apple Insider Podcast. And if William scans a card and emails you about it. <laughs> yes. Please respond or I'll feel really, really bad. So, yeah. Everyone everyone, send William an email. <laughs> I would enjoy that, actually. That's W. Gallagher at... <laughs> it's at William at <laughs> AppleInsider.com. And I would enjoy yes. hearing stories send, about tea. Send William email. <laughs> Make him feel good. Okay. Thank you. We'll be back next week to talk all about all the amazing things that have happened at the Apple event. We'll be back with live coverage from it. It's going to be fantastic. Please go ahead and and reach out to us either by email, like William said, or on Twitter uh, at W Gallagher or at VMarks. We'll be back next week. Looking forward to talking all about new iPhones, new Apple Watches, and Apple TV. Nice. I genuinely am really looking forward to next week's one. I mean, assuming it's me. Um, uh, actually, that's a thought. I never know it's going to be me. I, I was only supposed to be on to replace Mike while he was ill. Uh, but, you know, he must have recovered by now. Uh, let's not ask him, though. Let's just keep using me until he complains. Okay. You, I, and a cup of tea. Yes, that sounds good. You go do that. I'll make us some tea. <laughs>